Well, thanks, Natalie. Good morning. Welcome to Auckland EV. Uh, I'm Rowan. Uh, great to see you here, one of the pastors here. And it's great as we get through this part of God's Word to see the narrative that's going on. There's this tension. What will happen next? Uh, we've seen a number of things go on in the weeks leading up to this week. Um, and so why don't we come and pray before our great God now and pray to Him and ask Him to help us to understand His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank you for the way that you, the God who made us, has chosen to reveal yourself to us, to, to make clear your ways and your will. We ask that today as we come to your word, that by your spirit you would comfort us, you'd challenge us about the ways that we think of the world and ourselves, and that you would grow us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. One of the great privileges of being a parent uh, is seeing your children grow up, uh, basically because the quicker they grow up, the, le the less you have to do, although until they turn into teenagers and the more talking you've got to do, the less physical stuff you've got to do. But it's been a great privilege for us to see our kids grow up. One of the privileges has, to be, has been to see their different personalities come out and then have their own little personalities, even from kind of a young age. There's kind of different people in our family. One of them's fierce and crazy. The other one's kind of ordered and, and very much unlike me. And, and that's great. And you can work out who they are later and chat about that. But one of the scariest things about having children is seeing their personalities come out because sometimes what comes out of your children looks a little like looking in a mirror. There's been a number of moments where I've seen great things come from our kids that I want them to emulate about Sarah and I and our parenting styles and how we live, and it's been really good. And there have been other moments, like the other day, when one of our children, when I asked them to do something, snapped back with quite a smart aleck but sharp response that was actually a little bit funny, but entirely inappropriate. <laughs> and I'm like, how dare you speak to me like that? And then I realized that was just like my teenage self, right there. In fact, that would have been exactly what I would have said. And I'm like, ouch, right? It's true, isn't it, that when you look at children, often the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And as we get to Genesis 4, we get to see a new beginning. And if you're taking notes, that's the first point we'll look at today, the new beginning. It's a new child, a new start. Genesis 4.1 says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, as you're following through the story of the start of the world, as the story begins, the question on all our minds is, what will they be like? Will the effects of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God be passed on to the next generation? Here is another new beginning, because Genesis is called the book of beginnings, because we've got another new beginning. Just last week, we saw the reason that the world is the way it is. Humanity turned against its creator. We tried to determine good for ourselves and good apart from God. And I thought it was important just to see really quickly what that meant for us. The first thing we saw was that sin, rebellion against God, is not something that God is responsible for. It's not something that he made. In fact, sin, rebellion against God, is us taking the place of God. God can't have made sin. Sin is a rebellion against him, ourselves putting ourselves in his place, thinking we know better than him. Second thing we saw was the tendency to hide our own rebellion against God and against others, to shift the blame. Do you remember Adam? 
Uh, snake made me do it, Eve. Adam, woman, you put here made me do it. It's your fault, God. All the way through, Adam and Eve are trying to blame others. Sin, rebellion against God, makes us want to run from God. To run from one another. To run from ourselves and from our responsibility. Thirdly, we saw the consequences of sin. Not only did it make human life mortal, it maligned human life. The consequences of rebelling against the creator of the universe and and putting ourselves in as little gods are disastrous. The physical consequences are toil and pain and death. The relational consequences, alienation, anxiety, fractured relationships, broken marriages, distorted relationships within marriage that should be good. And they're spiritual. Alienation from the God who loves us and who made us. No longer in perfect relationship with him. With one act... Humanity have put ourselves into deep trouble. And the question as we arrive at Genesis 4 is, will it continue? What is the future of our world? Will the effects of Adam and Eve be passed down to their children? What are my parents' effects of their sinfulness likely to do to me? Genesis 4 verse 2. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, at first glance, you're kind of like, this is good. This is good, everyone. This is looking really good. Um, You've got the oldest son, Cain, a chip off the old block. he's, he's He's a farmer working the ground just like his dad Seeing things while there's a bit of toil now, but seeing fruit come out of the land and and, and produce. And then there's Abel, doing exactly what God had said they ought to be doing, filling the earth and subduing it as he rules over the livestock. You get a hint of this is humanity as they ought to be. A picture, at least in part, of filling the earth as God had made them to do, ruling under God's rule. It makes you wonder, maybe, just maybe, things might get better. But more than that, there seems to be a desire for these two sons of Adam to worship and serve the God who made them. Both Adam's sons give some kind of offering to God. Now, despite being kicked out of God's presence, God allows humanity to relate to him, albeit at a distance at this point. And here, it looks like life is being done in right relationship with God, to the glory of God, and offering is being brought, not in order to receive God's goodness or or bargain with God in some way, but in response to the blessings God has given, produce, livestock, flourishing. It's out of an abundance of what God has provided that Cain and Abel give back to God and want to willingly give to him. Now, as an aside for a moment, we don't hear why they did this. It's not as if there was some command God had given that you must do it. Um, We don't know how they knew to do it. The only thing you can assume, it was an instruction of their mother and father that had instilled in their children that life was to be lived in response to the God who gave us everything. And parents, I want to encourage you here that this is one of the best things we can do for our children, to bring them up in the knowledge that life is not lived for our own pleasure and purpose, but in response to the goodness of the God who gives us everything. It makes me ask, is that what my kids hear from my lips? Or even more tellingly, what they see in my actions. 
Now, maybe your parents didn't bring you up that way. I had the privilege of parents bringing me up and pointing me to who Jesus was and what God had done. But maybe that wasn't your story. But I hope you can see here that if God is the one who gives us all things, the only way to live is in response to his goodness. Everything we have is given to us by him. Whether we believe in him or not, it all comes from him. And that means the only right response in life is to worship him, to live for him. Now, sometimes we think worship means to sing. You know, we come to worship God means I'm going to sing to God. It doesn't mean that. It literally means to, to bow down before, to offer service toward. It includes singing, but it's actually Romans 12 tells us. It's what we do with all of our lives. We live our lives as a sacrifice, pleasing to God. Uh, we, we worship God with all of our lives. It's recognizing that we exist to live for God. For a relationship with him, not in some weird kind of sadistic sense where he wants everyone just to bow down to him as if he's got a small ego or needs a bigger ego, but because it being in relationship with God is the best way to live with the creator of the universe. So often we flock to celebrities all across the world. We're like, oh, I got close to so-and-so. I went to so-and-so's concert. I saw them in the street the other day. I saw this person there and we're like, wow, I was close to them. The God of the universe invites us to be in relationship with him who creates all, who maintains all, who loves all. And yet we go, oh, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> I think the weirdness is with us. But the problem is, all of us worship. We just don't all worship the right person or thing. We put other things in the place of the true and living God. We, we, we worship ourselves or our pleasure or our view of what is right. That's exactly what happened in the garden, right? Adam and Eve went, we think we know what is better. And so we want to worship ourselves rather than God. We want to determine what is right rather than God. Everyone worships. And what we see next shows the effects of the fall, even in our attempts to live for God. Abel brings to God some of the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. Now, today we hear that he brought the fat. We're like, oh, he gave God the offcuts, right? Because when we eat steak, we all cut off the fat because we know we, we don't want to just strap it to our waist and it get bigger. We, we kind of want to think through, you know, we've got to be lean, eat lean meat. That's the way I want to look after my heart. But in the whole Old Testament view, like the best bit, I mean, let's be honest, if you're going to eat it, the fat is awesome, right? It tastes good. It's, and in the whole Old Testament, the way that people thought through this was that the, fat, the best bits of this were for God, were to be given to him. And Abel brings the best bits and he brings them to God and he brings the first fruits as well. The, the things that come first, the animals that were born first, recognizing that God is the one who provides. He's not holding back a few. Then when he's stored up kind of enough and he goes, all right, God, now I'll give you this little bit on the side. I've made sure my future is here. He literally goes, God, I'm giving this to you, the first ones. Because he recognizes that it's God who gives him everything. He can't get it for himself. It's God who's in control. And so he gives the first fruits to God to say, I totally and utterly depend on you. I want to worship you and honor you for you have given me these livestock and these sheep. And I want to give you the best bits because you are great. He wants to worship God. But Cain, while he looks good on the surface, only brings some, Moses tells us, of the land's produce. It might not be the best, 
But perhaps for Cain, his mother had told him it's never good to turn up at someone's house empty-handed. And so he's on his way and he thought, oh, maybe you should bring something. So he picks some produce and brings it along. But look what happens next, verse 5. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. There's something here going on for Cain. Something more important deep down in Cain's heart than, than giving God his best. And we call it self-centered worship. Self-centered worship. See, every time we hold back our best from someone else, what we're actually doing is giving our best to ourselves or to someone else. The one we attribute the the most importance or utmost importance to in life is, is the one who receives our best. Cain, much like you and me, falls into the trap of worshiping himself. I'll give God some of the produce. Unlike Abel, who says, you get the first bits, you get the best bits. Cain just goes, picks some of it and says, oh, that'll do. What he's actually doing is saying, like Adam in the garden, I am more important than you. I deserve to be worshipped more than you. I should get the best, not you, God. He worships himself. And what's worse is, He clothes his self-worship in pretending to worship God. Do you ever do that? Do you ever go through the motions of saying, I'm giving my best to God, but really you're not? You know, you rock up to church looking like you want to serve God and others, but really you're just ticking off some boxes going, I should do it. It's the right thing to do. And, or maybe you, you come along here today because you know it's a good thing to do and you want to have some sense of the spiritual, a booster shot of Christianity or Christian community. And there's nothing wrong with Christian community. And maybe it's that you want to come along to learn more and have your mind expanded about the words of God and what he has said to us and who he is. And there's nothing wrong with growing in our understanding of God either. But if we are rocking up to church to serve ourselves, then we are not worshipping God. The issue with Cain was his heart. He wasn't worshipping God, but pleasing himself, seeking to please his own little God he'd made out of himself. He was going through the motions of making this offering to God. Now it makes me ask the question, where, where am I going through the motions? So easy to do, isn't it? Just to go along with what I've always done, living the checkbox Christianity life, rather than recognizing how amazing it is that God has made me, that God has given us everything, Those times I want to hold back from God and his kingdom. I want to serve myself. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the goodness that God has given us. But, oh, how so often I make sure that happens first. Before I think through what I can serve God with, I can serve others with, with the joy and the gifts and the responsibility and the resources he's given me. It's a great question for all of us today. How are we serving God? Cain's response here gives us a litmus test to work out where we are living for ourselves. How can I work out where those moments are when I'm putting myself at the center? See, the moment Cain didn't receive the praise he felt he deserved, he turns away from God. Look at verse 5. Cain was furious. He looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Right here, you see Cain's response. He's furious because he wants God to treat him as God. God hasn't treated him the way he wanted, and he's angry about that. But what God does is give Cain a choice. Do I make my life right here, right now, about God or about me? He has this option. If it's about God, he can listen to him. He can turn to him. He can recognize his self-worship and and turn back to God and put God at the center and say no to the sin that is crouching at the door. Sorry, God, for putting myself at the center and not worshiping you as I ought. Sorry for putting myself above you, for thinking I'm more important than you, that I deserve the best and not you, for making myself into God. If only that was my response and our response more often when we're challenged by sin's deception. If only we heard the loving challenge of God's word and applied it to our hearts and said, yes, stop this. But so often what we do is what Cain did. We dig our heels in and say, no, I deserve the best. Because we're a chip off the old block, just like Cain, we too often do what our fathers and mothers did. We get angry. We blame Listen to the mercy of God, which is the next point that we'll see. God says to Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What I love about this interaction between Cain and God is the incredible mercy of God. You see how merciful and loving he is that he speaks into Cain's life. That he says, don't do this, Cain. He gives him time to come back. He overlooks the already self-centered worship that Cain deserves to die because of doing, putting himself at the center of the universe, saying, I don't want you to be God. God should say and could say, that's it. I will remove myself. You're dead. You're gone. But he doesn't. He gives him time. He says, don't do this. Come back to me. I think it's a fantastic example of what great parenting looks like. Don't you? God the Father, full of mercy, not giving Cain what he does deserve. Giving him an opportunity to come back, but still being firm and loving. Overlooking those first steps and those times that rebellion has happened. Here is an example of what it looks like to parent. And we now need to recognize that we are sinners too, unlike God. He has nothing to apologize for, but we, oh, what hypocrites. If we are to stand and say, no, that's too far, you've done too much. Now look at the mercy of God. It's incredible. But the effect of sin is that we refuse to think someone else might have a better view of life than we do. The effect of sin is that we refuse to think that someone else might have a better view of life than we do. We refuse to think that God might have a better view of us than we do. And we act like our own little gods and go, I'm going to do it anyway. Because it's fun, because I want to worship me, because I want to put myself at the center of the universe. And so, this happens. Verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
Have you ever wondered what it would take for you to kill someone? How angry you would need to be? The level of wrong someone would need to do? The level of envy you would need to have? There's a part where I, I hear this and I'm like, man, I, I would not do that. I would never let my, my own worship of myself get to the point where this happens. But friends, how often do we look at someone and hate the way they're acting or hate the good that they do? Even one of the things I see when I'm driving, I, I, I struggle with not looking at my phone when I'm driving. I look at someone next to me on their phone and I think, you idiot. You are driving. What an absolute fool. And I get angry and I'm like, I should like bump their car or something. I should like, it just ideas flow into my head. I don't know. Maybe you're not as ungodly as me. But that stuff, that, that just happens to be there. I read a newspaper article once of a, of a mother whose child was in a beauty pageant. And there was another child who was actually, um, as in America, the other child was, was likely to win. It was between her child and the other child. So this mother, right, decided to pay a hitman to take out both the other child and the child's mother. Two and a half thousand dollars each. She then went, mm, that's too much. I'll just take out the mum. And that's what happened. Happens. We do it. What would it take for us to be there? For, for Cain, all it was was his frustration and jealousy and himself at the center. And friends, it's just a degree, isn't it? We go one step more, we get more callous. We go one step more, we get more callous. Here, the first murder in human history. What was it because of? Jealousy. Shame. Pride. How dare God praise my younger brother more than me? I'll show him. How dare God show up my self-centeredness and not accept what I had given him? I'll show him. How dare God challenge the idea that I don't get to call the shots? Watch this, God. Cain's murder of Abel had actually nothing really to do with Abel. It was everything to do with God and rebelling against him and showing God I could be my own God without you. And isn't that the way with all sin? We want to be our own gods without him. Cain was so furious at God, he was willing to take out his own brother to prove a point. That he was the master of his own destiny, that he could have dominion over the earth his way, not God's way. So he would kill his own brother. God was right. Sin, the idea of rejecting God and putting yourself at the center, was crouching at the door and it is so attractive. The idea of putting ourselves rather than God at the center of the universe is crouching at the door of every single one of us in this room. Every day, Satan whispers to us, it's okay, give some to yourself, it's all right. Just come this way, just give in, just put yourself at the center and walk straight into the arms of hell. How many times a day do we give ourselves the best and give God the factory seconds? How many times do we say, no, I'm going to do it my way, not your way? How many times do we, do we make up our rules and live life our way rather than God's and do damage to the, the good God made for us? What did Abel do in this? He just served God. 1 John 3.11 tells us, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was the... E who was of the evil one, 
and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? John tells us. Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The big brother Cain should have loved his little brother, should have looked after his little brother, should have celebrated his brother's success. Well done, Abel. Well done. Good work on giving God your best. That's excellent. I'd love you to help me do that. I think I'm putting myself at the center. You know, I thank God for you, Abel. You're such a helpful kind of brother for me. He could have then confessed his sin and shame and turned back to God. But instead, what did he do? He brought grief and death and pain into a family that had never experienced it before. And all to prove a point. No one tells me what to do. Friends, never underestimate what your own desire to be king of your life will cause you to do. Never underestimate what your own desire to be king of your life will cause you to do. For Adam and Eve, the temptation came from outside in the garden in the form of a serpent. But for every human being after Adam and Eve, the temptation comes from within. Because we are just like our dad. Genesis 4 verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? And how many of us have used that line? Where we say, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? I heard it all the time growing up from my mum, and I don't know where things are. And just We have this line there, but deep down inside us is the effect of sin. Do you see the downward spiral? Adam was approached by God after his rebellion against God. What did he do? He hid behind a fig leaf. Cain is approached by God after his rejection of God, and he outright lies to his face. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not my responsibility. It's gone down and down. But God knows all too well. God knows all too well where Abel is and what Cain has done. You can hear the disdain in Cain's voice. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer that comes back should be yes. You are your brother's keeper. You were his big brother. You killed him. You abused the relationship of power you had over him to suit yourself, to pretend you are God, that you can call the shots. And see, God and God alone is the one that gives life and that can take life away. And Cain is stepping into the place of God again. He's literally assuming the place of God. And then God speaks, verse 10. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, Cain, Cain didn't recognize that God had given everything. In his offering to God, he just held back and gave to himself. And so now God says, you will never get anything from the ground from me again. Because you've put yourself in the place of God. Friends, sin is so seductive, but it's not worth it. (laughs) The delusion of sin is that we think we can get away with it. We can pull off worship of ourselves, going through the motions, becoming the master of our own destinies. That's what we think. And we look at the world around and we think, look, it looks like it's going well, but there will be a day when we come face to face with God. And the deeds that we've covered over with dirt will be crying out. And justice is what God will bring. But for Cain here, it's too late. 
He had the chance. He had the moment to come to God, to stop speeding down the highway of self-focus and come back to the true and living God. God gave him every opportunity. And the lesson for us all today is, will we listen to the mercy of God? Will we listen to God's loving call to come back and trust him? Before it's too late, will we turn back to God? Cain is so stuck in self-centered worship, even now he cries unfair. Look at verse 13. Cain answered the Lord, My punishment's too great to bear since you're banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. He's worried that justice will come to him. Oh, and it will. But God even shows his mercy here, not giving him the fullness of what he deserves, not there and then. The Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Why? Because God and God alone gives life and can take it away. He placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And we have the answer to what happens when sin takes root in a family and we are just like our dad's. Friends, Cain's biggest issue here, it wasn't actually his sin. See, God had given him a way out from that rebellion, a moment to come back to God. Cain's biggest issue was to disregard the mercy of God, to disregard the word of God, to not listen to the God who holds out forgiveness and hope. A number of years ago, a friend of mine that I was going to church with started dropping back from, from church. He started um, not coming along to some of the music things he was on and, and, and not coming to his small group and kind of not being very regular at church. And I'm like, there's something just not right with, with what's going on with him. I tried to reach out. He wouldn't answer my calls, call after call. I even turned up at his house one night and stood outside waiting for him to get home. He just didn't come home. And then a couple of weeks later, he, he happened to come to church uh, just for one week. And it was the week we were preaching in that church, Genesis 4, this very passage. He called me uh, later on that week and we caught up for a coffee. And he said to me that hearing God's word in Genesis 4 was like God reached out to me, he said. Grabbed me by the collar, looked me in the eyes and said to me, sin is crouching at the door. He then said, look, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been meeting this woman online in a different country I've been saving up my money. I was literally about to buy a plane ticket to fly to another country, uh, to leave my wife and my family, and just to go and live with her. But I realized the reality that I've got one chance to come back to God, one chance to listen to his mercy. And he gave me his phone. I still get emotional about it. He gave me his phone, and he said, can you delete her number from my phone? I want nothing to do with this woman anymore. Here it is. I want it all gone. No way that I can get it back. This is the only way I've contacted it. And he did that. He then went back and confessed to his wife of what had gone on and went and kind of worked through some things with counselling. <laughs> Where is it for you today, friends? Where God is grabbing you by the collar in his great love and mercy and saying, don't do it. Don't let sin have you. Rule over it. 
The question for all of us is how will we respond to the merciful word of God? The story of Cain shows us what happens when we reject God's word. My plea today is that you listen to the word of God. That you pray that for one another. You care that for one another and you speak into one another's lives and my life and ask how we're going at putting God's word in the center to see his love and mercy. The writer of the book of Hebrews starts the whole book, which is a sermon this way. He says in Hebrews 1.1, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors, the prophets, at different times and in various ways. But in these last days, the days that we live now, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus is introduced to the world stage in the Gospel of John as the Word become flesh. He is God the Son and He stepped into creation not only to warn us, but to provide the solution to our sin and to Adam's. Yet so many of us see the mercy of God in Jesus, but we don't let that play a a rich part of our lives. We don't put Jesus at the center. We don't live for Him and give Him our all and recognize the amazing mercy and love and grace that He's given us. Either because we come to church to tick the boxes of religiosity or we don't recognize the depth of what we have done and put ourselves in the center. We don't see the amazing reality that Jesus has offered to take the penalty for what we deserve. You know, as God looked Cain in the eyes that day and told him to do what was right, he could only do that because he knew his son would willingly come and die in Cain's place. He knew that he could look over the sin, Romans 3 tells us, that had been committed beforehand because God the Son would come and lay down his life for us and give us the option of having life that lasts forever. And Jesus would die our death. As the writer of Hebrews gets to chapter 12, he says this, If we come to Jesus, if we recognize that Jesus is the King, that we have come, he says, Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, a new promise, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Abel's blood cried out for justice from the ground. Justice must be delivered, and justice is what Cain got. But Jesus' blood, as he died on that cross, cries out justified. I've done it for you. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. We want to put this right Jesus' blood cries out avenged. The twist in the whole story of the blood of Abel is that his blood cries out against us too. Because we, like Cain, are guilty of the vilest offenses against others and against God. But Jesus' blood, despite what we've done, despite the wrongs where we've put ourselves in the center of our universe, cries out, forgiveness is yours. Christ on the cross, murdered, the son, the son of God murdered, is the end of the story of Cain. And therefore, the end of the whole story of human history. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 25, directly after this, See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. Friends, see to it that you do not reject the God who speaks and shows you his mercy. There's nowhere else to run but to the love and mercy of the God of the universe who has died for us. 
Why would we not want to live for him? Why would we not want to put him at the center of our lives? Why would we not want to give him the best and enjoy relationship with him forever where death has been defeated and life is ours? Friends, if we are in Jesus, if we're living out his family likeness, then the great news is the blood of Jesus cries out that we are forgiven. We're no longer sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, but we are sons of God if we trust in Jesus, brought into his family, adopted as his own children, forgiven and freed to live for him. The only way to break the curse of sin and the family of Adam is to come to Christ and live for him. Why don't you join with me in asking God to help us to do that, to trust him and live in the joy of his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, as we hear your word today, so many areas of our lives comes up. Areas that we don't put you at the center. Areas where we put our, our life on autopilot. Where we place ourselves at the center of our world rather than you. And you see far more than we do about what our lives are like. But we're so thankful that death does not need to be our end. That because of Jesus' death in our place, because he has taken the penalty that we deserve, that the perfect son of God has died, that we might have life, that we can call you our dad. That right now we can speak to you because Jesus has taken the penalty for what we have done. So, Father, please forgive us for turning our backs on you, for pretending to be little gods. Please help us to see the great joy of living in your forgiveness and mercy. And help us to see how amazing a privilege it is to serve you and be in relationship with you and point people to you and give you our best. That that is far better than serving ourselves. Would you help us to be people individually and as a church who continues to live for your glory, basking in the forgiveness and mercy you've shown us, Praising you and worshipping you with all that we do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.